We are creating a platform for those who are curious. One that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is The Working Artist Project. Hey guys, it's Darian Douglas. Welcome to the second season of The Working Artist Project. In fact, if you're back after the first season, welcome home. And if you're not, let me tell you a little bit about this podcast. I sit down with some of the most influential and talented artists from multiple fields, and we discuss the challenges of constructing a successful career as an artist. You will be inspired and motivated after listening to these amazing people conquer challenges and live life on their terms. Welcome to the Working Artist Project. I want to welcome the most amazing human being that I know. Oh, man. Come on, bro. <laughs> How do you start off like that? Barry Stevenson to the Working Artist Project. Welcome, man. Hello. Good to be here. So nice, man. I'm glad you got this off the ground. You have been talking about it for a minute, and you did it, bro. I'm proud of you. I'm real proud of you, man. We need this in the music, for real. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. Man, I want to I start out with you telling your story and, and like, where you're from and... Uh, Cool. And, and, and you know your origin story like, oh man well uh originally i'm from um i was born in plantation florida which is a little town in uh outside of fort lauderdale okay. kind of about 45 minutes away from miami um came up went to school for marine biology funny enough to a magnet school from 6th to 12th grade and in that whole thing i kind of um, started playing music and uh started on electric bass and eventually started taking uh, upright lessons my senior year of, of high school so I could audition for college. So college was kind of really where I started playing, right, really right. started playing and practicing. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't even know anything about jazz then. I knew a couple of names, you know, but I didn't really know as much about the music as I wish I had, you know. But we all get there, you know. Yeah, it's a process. <laughs> it know, is a process, process, man. It's a beautiful one, too, at that. Yeah. So, uh... So how did you how did you get introduced to playing the bass? Well, it's funny, you know, most bass player stories are always necessity stories. It's always like, well, the band needed a bass player, and mine isn't very different. Like I, um, I had some friends, one of my best friends, he played guitar, and then we were like, yeah, we were into like heavy metal back then, so we were like, yeah, let's like start a band. And I couldn't <laughs> sing; I wanted to sing, but I couldn't sing. You know, Man, still this, can't. This, this sounds like that episode of South Park. You know, you yeah, <laughs> bro, this is exactly. It's like you know, Token, you play bass, right? I don't have a bass. No, but um, yes, you do. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, um, they were like, yo, we need a bass player, and so for something I was like. Okay, and then funny enough, it was like I the world opened up because I started hearing the bass before. Oh. Like whereas like you you don't really notice it as much, but then I started keying in and I was like, oh snap, that's like a whole world of stuff that's like you know what I'm saying that's getting down there in the mix and it was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, I asked my dad to buy me a bass, and he said um, we'll see. That's you know pops is always <laughs> gonna say we'll, we'll see what we could do, and. Um, Funny enough, January of my eighth grade year, this was in 2001, I broke my arm. Okay. And I real, real bad, my left arm. I had, I broke real, I had a compound fracture. So, like, the bone was poking through the skin. Both oh. bones broke completely through. I had to have surgery. I was oh, in the yeah. cast for like five and a half months. And my dad bought me my base on my birthday in April. Okay. But I couldn't even really get my hand around it because I had this cast uh, on it. Right. So, I would just sit there and hit open strings. And he also didn't buy me an amp because my pops is like, you know, you know, money was tight. Pops was like, look, 
I'm not gonna buy this thing for it to be sitting in the closet collecting dust. You show me you're gonna really play this, and I'll we'll we'll see if we can get your amp for Christmas. Right, 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 right. Or we'll see about getting you an amp. That's what he said. You know, yeah. Pop don't give you no time frame. He just say we'll see about <laughs> getting you an amp. So my birthday's in April. I got an amp in um, December for Christmas. Damn. A little Ibanez 25 watt practice amp. So you was on it. You had to prove to your pop. That I you had to prove first. that I was actually trying to do this. You know, wow. pops. But he saw. I'll never forget one day when he first bought it for me. I thought I was like, you know, by myself. And I remember hugging the bass. Like I was so happy. Oh, I yeah, hugged dude. that mug. Yeah. And just at that moment, my pop walked by and he just smiled. And I was like, oh, snap. He saw that. He saw it. He saw you. He saw that. He definitely saw it. <laughs> he definitely saw it. That's dope, man. I Man, I remember when I got my first drum set. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I, I slept. Can you imagine? I, I was like this big ass, like, you know, 22 inch bass drum. <laughs> and I just put it in my bed, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was the same bro. thing. My mom didn't have no money to buy no drum set. Yeah. Someone gave me one for free, and I was Ooh, like, that's you a know blessing. What? That's it. I'm yeah. sleep with these drums. This <laughs> is it. I think that's my, I think my, my, my first bass cost about $200. It was just a little. Washburn P bass, nothing yeah. special, but you know, something to work with, and it it, mm-hmm. it did what it's supposed to do. I still have that bass today. Oh damn, that's deep. Yeah, I wouldn't. I'm not getting rid of that bass. That's the original. That's the OG. Oh, man, that's the first gigs were on that bass. <laughs> you, you got know? it in the glass case above your toilet. Oh uh, no, I have it in a hard shell <laughs> case at Kelsey's parents' house, my wife's parents' house. Funny oh, okay. enough. Oh, that's cool, man. That's cool. Yeah. So, man, you know, why did you choose jazz? Because I don't think jazz was, you said you started a band, but it wasn't a jazz band. No, I was in a rock band. And, um, you know, what happened was, funny story, and I took the, this thing called the credit by exam in seventh and eighth grade for Spanish. So basically I tested out of Spanish so I didn't have to take it in high school. Okay. And then when I got to high school, for some reason they messed up my schedule and they put me in Spanish class. And I was like, but I already have this. So they, they fixed it. And they were like, well, there's only a couple of things since I was in the magnet school. They couldn't really rotate my schedule too much. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of choices I had. I could stay in Spanish, which was I was like, why am I going to do that? Or I, I could go to ROTC, which I was like, I'm no. not doing ROTC. <laughs> like right, nothing right. about me is about that. Right. And then um, so they said, well, the jazz bands for second period. And funny enough, my guidance counselor, she had just started playing bass, too. She was this, mm-hmm. just, she was this Jamaican woman who always wore, like, a head wrap because I think she had dreads. Okay. And she had just started playing electric bass, too. So we kind of, like, bonded over that. She's like, yeah, you should join the jazz band. I'm like, I, whatever. I get to play music in school an hour yeah, a day. Yeah. I'll take that. And it turned out to be a very, very life-changing decision because that's what influenced me so much was being in that, that ensemble was... It introduced me to the world of horns and how you know it was a it was a quote unquote big band, right? And um, you know we actually it was a, we had a sad music director. I hope she's watching this too because she kicked oh, me out. She on, kicked man. me out. No, seriously, she kicked me out <laughs> in eleventh grade. Sidebar: I saw her one time in New Orleans at the JEN conference, and yeah. I was so happy to be like. She's like, "What do you do?" I called her. I was like, "Hey, Miss Parsons." She's like, "Oh my God, what are you doing?" I'm like, "I live here." I play music here. <laughs> I'm getting my master's in jazz right now. I felt oh. so good about it. I, it was like beautiful. But um, no, so that that kind of like hearing the horns got me into other styles of music like ska and reggae, like stuff okay. that was horn oriented. So like, right, that's how I kind of got into jazz. And it came time for college. I was like, well, I either want to do science or I want to do music. And I was like, what do I want to wake up every day and devote myself to like fully? And it was just a no brainer for me. It's like I want to be a musician. It's not going to be easy, but, you know. Gonna make it work, baby. We're gonna make it gonna work, make and it's it been a beautiful, 
uh, journey so far. So, man, I got yeah. no no regrets on that decision. So, man, did studying jazz enhance your appreciation for other types of music? Did it make you love rock and sky and R&B and funk a well, little bit more? Yeah, man. You know, what's funny is um, my dad was a DJ, so I always had, there's always music in my house. And my dad didn't censor the music I listened to, whereas my mom... She, um, you know, she loves music. She doesn't play an instrument. She doesn't sing or anything, but she loves, loves music. And when I was uh, coming up, she was listening to a lot of gospel music and a lot of R&B, stuff like that. My dad mm-hmm. listened to a lot of hip-hop. He had, like, all the cutting-edge hip-hop. He had it on CD, and he would let me make tapes out of it. Uh-huh. So I'll never forget when I, I bootlegged Mace's Harlem World. Like, I'm talking about no parental advisory. I mean, it had, like, all the curse words <laughs> on it and everything. He, right. I mean, Pops was just cool about it. Yeah. So being getting into jazz... I feel like jazz allows you to open your ears to the possibilities of things and the function of everything and how your role sit, how you sit in the music. So like it kind of made me appreciate the sounds and the different idiosyncrasies of each style of music more. So, you know what I'm saying? Like when you listen to something, you're like, man, these cats are on a vibe and it's like, it's hard to do. You realize like playing the same thing over and over without variation. That's an art consistently yeah that's something else that's i mean we we look at the rock cat or like being in a rock band playing that hard every night that's a whole nother thing the rock drummers look at jazz drummers and they're like y'all are some pussies like y'all can't even <laughs> y'all soft you know what i'm saying yeah whereas the jazz drummers look at the rock drummers and be like y'all ain't got no finesse right you ain't got right right you dig right. so well but not if, me i understand yeah 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 well you know you're a different kind of cat you dig <laughs> you're a different cat so man after college, you moved to New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. I moved to New Orleans in 2010. So why did you decide to move to New Orleans first instead of moving straight to New York City or Chicago or mm. D.C.? Well, for me, it was, uh, you know, Marcus Roberts, the great, you know, pianist who used to play with Winton and everything. He taught, he was adjunct at FSU, at Florida State University, and he would do a weekly residency every year with uh, his trio, which at the time consisted of Roland Garen on bass and Jason Marsalis on drums. Oh, yeah, okay. And, you know, I, I really, really enjoyed them as people as well as players. And then 2006, I went to New Orleans for the first time for Jazz Fest. And, uh, you know, that was the first Jazz Fest after the storm. So the city still looked very, very desolate. It was very, very, it was gruesome, kind of just like dark. It was weird. But it still had this strong energy about it that only New Orleans can have. (laughs) It it had like a very strong vibe. I was like, this is weird, but I like it. Like, and Mm -hmm. I loved the city. I loved, I just loved being in that environment. I loved the food. I loved the way the houses looked. I loved everything about it. The music, of course. And so uh, the next year, 2007, I went back again, and this time we helped uh, Habitats, uh, Habitats Habitat for, for humanity. humanity. Yeah, there we yeah. go. Okay. And we helped build some houses, and um, and we went to Jazz Fest again. What you did this with Marcus's? Three no, 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 no. I was I was saying um, I did this with some friends, just with your homies. Okay. Yeah, and then I think I went to Jazz Fest again in like 2009 or something like that, and then 2010. Okay. Um, but what happened was. When I was applying for grad school, I reached out to Roland because by that time I was like, man, I really want to go to New Orleans. Like, I was like, I really want to go because I love the music. I love the culture. And I was like, well, the only way you can actually learn about New Orleans culture and music is to get steeped right in it. Like, you can read about it all you want. Somebody can tell you about it. You can even listen to it. And that works. But until you 
are on second and dryads on Super <laughs> Sunday, watching the Indians, you yeah, know what right. I'm saying, do their thing. Yeah. Unless you're sitting there eating Biddles barbecue. See, people right. don't even, you, yeah. you got you to gotta be down in New Orleans to even know who Biddles is. Right, right. And right. know where Biddles be at. B- yeah, yeah. Biddles be in the hood spots. He be at like Bullets, you know. Yeah. Actually, Biddles, does, he doesn't do it anymore. Apparently, he got a restraining order for shooting somebody. Oh, some crazy no. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, New Orleans, though. That's New Orleans. Right, right. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I feel like the only way to really, really get it was to go down there, immerse myself in the culture, and learn as much as I possibly could. So, And I also was like, well, you know, I don't want to get up to New York without contacts and be broke and not working, you know? So I was like, yeah. well, at least this will afford me the opportunity to go down there, um, get some, you know, play, be able to yeah, play. yeah. And be able to learn the culture. And then at the same time, Roland Garen, I was like, Roland, where are you teaching at? He was working at, um, where was Roland? He was at UNO, University of New Orleans at the time. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I was like, you know, I really want to go. But man, I was like, I, I need some money to go. Because <laughs> I was like, I can't afford to right. go to school. My parents are not in a position to help me do that, like at all. And so uh, he was like, man, you just make sure your audition tape is killing. We'll handle the rest. There it is. And Only man, in New Orleans is some shit like that happening. Yeah, bro. And like, I mean, you know, I, I ended up getting a, <laughs> I ended up getting a full scholarship, the Ellis, Ellis wow. Marsalis scholarship, and it was a beautiful experience. Like, they really, really, you, going to UNO was the best decision after undergrad because they nurtured me as a musician. They didn't, mm-hmm. you know, a lot. I hear a lot of stories about different college programs where they give you like some kind of vibe for going on tour and doing professional opportunities. Where UNO, the professors are like. I remember one time I had to miss Steve Mazikowski, uh, the head of the program, great guitarist. I had to miss his class um, to go play on WWOZ okay. with Glenn David Andrews. It was like my first like performance with him. And I didn't, I found out like, re- like you know how New Orleans stuff is. Somebody called you a couple of hours beforehand. You're going on a tour in 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that weeks. kind of vibe. That kind of vibe. <laughs> and so I didn't have time to tell him or email him. So I just went to the radio and I told right. him later, I was like, man, I'm sorry I missed your class. Well, he's like, I was like, I had to play on OZ. And he's like, oh, man, if you got to play on OZ, don't even contact me. Just go do it. Right. <laughs> and their, their philosophy was, you're here to be groomed as a professional musician. So when you get opportunities for professional engagements take them there it is you know you're like take them i remember i had to come to them i was like man i gotta go on tour for about a month and a half they're like cool just turn your work in when you get back we'll see you then there it is some people were like i mean we we don't even need to name schools but like some people have told me like the you can only miss two weeks of classes at certain schools Mm. and then they just flunk you well that's called the racket that's a whole another thing. You, you know dig, I mean? but that's why I'm glad I went to UNO <laughs> because it, it 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 allowed me to do what I needed to do creatively, mm-hmm. and you know it's just, it was just a better situation for me, man. I ended up getting this award called the uh, the Louis Armstrong Foundation Award through ASCAP. Oh yeah, uh, okay. for you know I was you can't even apply for it. The, the faculty members nominated me for it. Okay, and then I won the Swenson Composition Award the next year. That one you you have to submit a composition. And so it just, um, you know, it was a good opportunity. I met a lot of great cats. Got to play with some really, really cool people in the their Sandbar series. Like Leonel Awake came through one right. time. Amazing. Ellis Marsalis did. You know, yeah. you just meet people. It afforded me a lot of opportunities that I don't know if I would have necessarily had up here, you know. For sure. For sure. So your time in New Orleans, you spent five, four years? Six years almost. Six years. Yeah, six Damn. years. Yeah, man. I'd only planned to stay three to five, I told myself. Right. Well, you know, it's real comfortable down there. <laughs> Come on, man. Come on. So what, what are the two top, you know, most, 
uh, what are the two lessons you learned from living in New Orleans? Um, Life lessons. I think one thing that New Orleans is really, really keen on is just be yourself. You know, a lot of people think that New Orleans is about uh, trying to sound like you're from some kind of like era or like trying to fit into this mold. Where when you realize that the actual motto of the city is do what you want to. You know what I'm saying? That's the reason why that's the Mardi Gras anthem. When you hear that, doom, boom, 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 do what you wanna. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? You start it up. You did. <laughs> but it's it's really about be yourself. Nobody judges you. It's okay. Yeah, it yeah. If you like, I mean, that's why they have a, you, man, you go down, you go down Rampart Street, you know, people are free. People are just free, man. You go down, you go, they even have this thing called the red dress, uh, the red dress, red dress crawl. run. Yeah, man. Everybody, including men, are wearing red dresses, and nobody cares. It's like, yeah. yo, we free. Yeah. It's all good. Nobody's judging you. It's a beautiful city. Uh, I think that's one. And the second one was, um, you know, just really re- the the ideal of community is so strong down there. Like people really, really know. I mean, you have to because it's so it's such a small city. It's a little big city. I like to call it. Right. It's it's one of the major cities in the United States, but geographically it's very very tiny Mm -hmm. so you know you see people on a regular basis and you know them so it fosters this sense of community that's very very beautiful and like you know in the toughest times new orleanians will come together and help one another out and it's a very man it is one of those things that when the city needs it people come through bro and it's it's a beautiful beautiful thing yeah i I, I can second that yeah man it's like we, we we're new orleans if you I'm not from New Orleans either, but I lived yeah. there for a long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, you was there. Man, I saw so you on Jazz Fest. I was in town. I came, <laughs> and you was playing with Alice Marsalis. You had a Jerry Curl back then. I never uh, forget this. Oh, they had no damn Jerry. Hey, he had a dripping, he had a dripping frosting. Let me stop, nah. let me stop. <laughs> but you know, the, the sense of community is, is deep. It is, man. It's deep. It's more like a family oh, in yeah. New Orleans. It's only yeah. like, you know, it's not that many of us, so we, we got to. Man, you know, I'm a, you're going to need somebody one day. You did. Yeah, that's is. that's the vibe. You, I'm gonna need you for a gig one day. I'm gonna need yeah. you to sub for me. I'm gonna need something. I'm gonna need you to move this couch. Yeah, so let's be something. cool. Like, like no, let's, let's just be cool. And every, <laughs> I think the energy is a little different because everybody's working down there. That's true like the too. saddest, the saddest of the saddest cats got like weekly gigs. Yeah, every that they've been big. holding down. It's a loyalty thing down there. Yeah. You yeah. learn that down there is that loyalty. Like there'll be situations where a cat will call. The person they they rant they run with, so to speak, over the person they know is more qualified for the gig. Now there there's you know plus or minuses to that, of course. Of course, you should call who you need for the music. But at the same time, there's something to be said about being like, "This is my boy. I'm gonna look out for my boy." Right. It's fam- you know what I'm family saying? First. Yeah, that's more important. And it's, and it's 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 very very interesting to see yeah. how that plays out. Yeah. You know. So man, like, what challenges uh, have you faced? And overcome that you didn't anticipate due to living in New Orleans. Um. Well, I feel like the first thing that I realized was that the work up here is is there's definitely work up here, but it's not as frequent as it is down there. It can be, but even still, like I mean, you can work seven days a week playing three to like three to four gigs a day if you really <laughs> want to work that way in New right. Orleans. You, it can be done, right? And you can make good money doing it. You'll work yourself. And you'll be playing, like, all different types of music and everything, you know. Here, I feel like um, the gigs happen a little bit more sporadically. And it's usually everybody's niche. It's like, this is what I do. 
I do. I, I stick with jazz. I, I hang with the modern jazz cats, or I hang with the traditional jazz cats, or I hang with the bebop cats, or I do this. I mean, there's people who you know go between the different schools, but there's not as much cross pollination in terms of you don't see cats who are coming from the funk realm going and playing jazz gigs, and you don't, and vice versa. That I know of. Right, right, right. Well, at this time. You I'm mean not in saying New York that, City? Yeah, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It happens. But somebody told me um, before I moved here, uh, what's his name? Brad Bourgeois, saxophonist? Uh-huh. Or Scott Bourgeois, I think his name is. I don't know him, yeah. Um, he was telling me, he's like, you know, New York is like pick your poison, you know? And it's getting back to that thing we were talking about with community. There are communities up here in, in uh, New York. But they're little cliques that abound separately from one another. And they're all like, this is the crew I run with. I don't run with this crew. Whereas in New Orleans, it's like, we all here in one big <laughs> one big pot. we yeah. got to get along. Because right, like, right, literally, right. you're going to be on the bandstand with this person someday. Exactly. It's yeah. going to happen. So how did you prepare yourself uh, psychologically um, and, and, and musically for the move to New York from New Orleans? Um, well, for the last... When I moved to New Orleans, I moved to New Orleans with the intentions of one day moving to New York. So in my mind, that was already the goal. Like I said, I gave myself three to five years, ended up being six. But I was like, one, I want to go to New York. That's just, you know, as a jazz musician, you're if you're really, really trying to do it, you're going to land in New York at some point in time. Or at least you're going to go through there a whole bunch where people think you live there. Mm-hmm. But um, I knew I always wanted to come, so psychologically i kind of just had to like prep myself for like how difficult it was going to be and like luckily you know you know my wife helped me out with a whole bunch of stuff like she was like instrumental in getting like the whole moving process like because i was on the road at the time right right. so like she did a lot of the packing she saved me that stress and you know there was just musically it was just like it was the same thing you got to do anyway you got to practice i I started to psych myself out it's a funny thing (laughs) Like, I got here, my, my good friend, James, you know Jameson, Jameson yeah. Ross, great drummer. He said, uh, I was talking to him one day. He's like, bro, you sound like you got the weight of the world on your shoulders. Because, <laughs> you know, you, you'll psych yourself out when yeah. you get up here. You yeah. know, like, you'll be yeah. like, oh, man. Like, it's, I guess the, psychologically, I had to keep telling myself that I have something to offer that's just as valid as somebody else. And I always said this before I even moved to New Orleans is um, I'm not trying to be better than anybody except myself on a daily basis. I never want to compete with anybody. I don't want to get into like, oh, this cat's better than me. This cat's worse. That cat's the best person they are, and I'm the best person I can be. And nobody right. can be a better person than you are. There it is. You know, so yeah, um, they can. No one can be a better you than you. Is what I mean to say. So um, it was just coming up here and just being inspired and seeing like so many great bass players. Like I mean, to name some offhand, you have cats like Yasushi Nakamura, who's yeah. just like what. You have Alex Claffey, <laughs> you have Russell Hall, yeah, I mean, Dan yeah. Shemelinski. Like, I mean, yeah. the list goes on and on. Yeah. Like, I mean, dude, you can go see some bad shit every night in New York every City. Every night, every night. And it's, it's a very, very great place to be for that aspect, to be inspired by your peers who are trying to do something to, like, push the music forward, you know? Yeah. Have you decided to stay in New York City for the rest of your life? You know, it's funny. Um... Me and my wife talked about it. We're going to not really put a time frame on it, yeah, okay. as I did with, with uh, New Orleans. And partially because I, t- I had a conversation one time at Snug Harbor down on Frenchman Street in New Orleans with Matt Penman. He was oh, playing with like Aaron yeah. Goldberg and Hutch. 
and yeah. it was like it was like a Tuesday night. Nobody was there. What? Yeah, for like the the musicians were there, but it was it was empty. It was deep. Uh-huh. It was so deep. And uh, that's the thing about New Orleans. You can have some bad cats and nobody be like, be like, I don't care about them people. I want to go see Kermit Ruffins. Oh, <laughs> you know God, what I'm saying? That's terrible. But um, I, I talked with Matt Pimmon afterwards, and I was asking him about New York because, you know, I, obviously I've been planning on making that move. Right. And he was saying to me, he said, um, you know, he's like, man, you know, it took 10 years for him to even get the gigs that everybody knows him for now. He's like, 10 years of being in New York. I was like, What? And I'm thinking about his career now, like, Matt plays with everyone. He plays with SF Jazz. He's on, like, Aaron Parks records. He's on, I mean, he's everywhere. He's the man. He's the man. He (laughs) said it took him 10 years. Wow. 10 years. So, to think, and I've talked to a lot of people, um, you know, the minimum is, like, at least five. Like, you can't come to New York and and just, you know, be like, I'm going to stay for a year or two and then bounce. Unless you got it like that. If you got it like that, I mean, do what you got to do. You know, I ain't mad at nobody. I just know for me... I'm gonna. I'm not gonna try and. You know, I'm not gonna try and like rush it. I wanna. I want it to be very, very organic, and I want to get the most out of it. So I'm gonna let it take its run its course, so to speak. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. So, man, what would you tell a young bass player in your shoes? You know, like somebody or one of your friends who want to come up from New Orleans to New York City. Like, what three things would you tell them to do to prepare themselves to, mm. to make that leap? Well. One thing that helped me more than anything before I even moved to New York was my mentality was such that when I was in New Orleans, I said to myself, I need to be amassing contact contacts for New York right now. And some things that helped with that were uh, Betty Carter's Jazz Ahead. Okay. Uh, Ravinia Music Festival. I was a part of those two different programs. I did Betty Carter's twice. And so most of the people who were in those programs were living in New York. So that was like more New York friends. Yeah. Then uh, a good friend of mine, great pianist by the name of Chris Pattishaw, he was going to William Patterson, and then uh, he was, you know, he moved to New York after that. And whenever uh, I would come up here and I would hang with him, he would take me around the scene, introduce right. me to people. It's really about those introductions. Those introductions when you know somebody who's like, oh man, this is a my a great bass player who just moved to City Barry Stevenson. Even if it's a it's a lie, you know what I'm saying? Like even <laughs> if it's like, a complete oh, yeah, yeah, lie. Okay. They, they, the, the power of the introduction will open up many doors for you. And then once you sit in and they see the vibe, they're like, okay, give me your phone number. Right. And so um, connections, man, like making connections and actually utilizing them. Like before I moved to New York, like a couple of months, or, be, or back it up. Every time I would come to New York, the people I was connected with, I would contact them like two to three months in advance. And just be like, hey, I'm, I wouldn't even ask them for work. I'd just be like, hey, man, I'm going to be in the city. Let's hang out and there play when you get a moment. You're reminding them that you, you're, you're around. You're around. And then inevitably, <laughs> somebody's going to be like, hey, man, I got this gig. You want to come do it? And then you meet more musicians. So how do you keep yourself grounded when you achieve success? Um, It's funny you say that because, you know, I I just recently did a couple of weeks on the Colbert, the late show at Stephen Colbert uh, playing with John Batiste and Stay Human. You famous. And that's what everyone says. And they're like, (laughs) oh, like, oh, you famous. You blah, blah, blah. I'm like, nah, man, it was a gig. You know what I'm saying? It was it was another opportunity to do what I love. And I'm very, very fortunate for it. But at the same time, um, you have to realize that you got to keep going. You can't. Herlin Riley taught me this. He said, you're only as good as your last gig. He's like, you know. 
yeah, people know me for playing with Winton and Ahmad Jamal. He's like, but if they saw me last night and I sounded sad, they're not going to remember all that other stuff. They're right. just going to remember I sounded sad on the gig. Yeah. So um, I think to keep in mind that there's always, if you have goals and you know that there's another level that you want to be at, just not being satisfied with just where you are now. And I know I could take that and be like, yeah, man, I moved to New York and I started playing on TV and like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. And be like, yeah, I made it. But the harsh reality of it is I have so much, so far to go, you know? Mm -hmm. So to just take that as like, that is like the only thing. It's not really a barometer for, for what I'm really, really, how successful I can be. You know, it's just a really good place to be at the moment. Damn, that's there it is. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, just a, it's a great place to be yeah. at the moment, you know? Hey, look. So how do you keep yourself moving forward through times of failure? You just realize that, you know, everyone fails. Failure is a natural part of life. And in order to, to succeed, you have to fail a couple of times. It's like when you learn how to ride a bike. You don't just jump on a bike and all of a sudden you're just riding that mug. You fall. You skin your knee. You take the training wheels off. You cry. You hurt. Just you know, you you have a lot of different attempts, but eventually it clicks and it's and you're like, God damn, I can ride this bike now. And then you start <laughs> you start trying to get bold and be like, Look, no hands, and you fall doing that. You know, and then you get back up. So I think failure is a very very necessary part of life. It teaches us a lot. Failure teaches us what we did wrong, what we can do right. And it also teaches us, like, the power of the human spirit. Because, like, some people, they fail and they're just like, I'm giving up. I don't care. And other people, especially in our career, when you fail or when you fail, right? you know, it pushes you. You know, I remember those days of being, you know, an undergrad at FSU. I would be in the practice room and I was real sad back then. I'm still, you know, I'm, I, I can play a little bit now. But back then it was real rough. And... I remember one day being in the practice room at like 3 a.m. And like I had to take a I took a hard look in the mirror and I was like, is this I put the base down. I was frustrated. I was like, is this really what you want to do? And I looked at myself and I was like, is this it? You can change now. Is this it? And I was like, yeah, this is it. I picked the base, and I picked, <laughs> I picked the base up and I went back to woodshed. you know, yeah, like it it's it's. Yeah. Hey, look, we all been there. And we and the thing is, the results, man, we here now. We still here. You know? So, I mean, you recently got married. I did. I did. April 16th, 2016. <laughs> so, do you feel any added pressure to succeed now that you have a new family? Um, I think the drive has always been there. I think now it's just a matter of making sure that my finances are, in straight, are straight because now it's not just me. You know, mm -hmm. it's me and my wife have been living together for the last four and a half years so it's not you know we've always kind of looked out for each other and took taking care of each other anyway now the pressure is um more about thinking about the future you know it's like how do you succeed in your career and then still like think about down the line like okay well we need to be putting away money for this or you know thinking about like one day where do you want to buy a house do you want do you want to buy a house yeah do you want to have kids? Uh, how many? How are you still going to tour when you have kids? You know, like those are real questions that have to be asked. And, 
you know, I'm I'm very very fortunate. My wife is very very understanding, and act, you know, some women say they understand the life of a musician, and they give you that they give you that you know, jive shit right before you start dating them, and then you start dating, and like you should stop playing music. And no, my <laughs> wife you is go, why you gotta go out of town? Yeah, why you leave for so long? <laughs> my wife has been very very supportive, and she's been with me through like the thick and thin of touring success failure when I'm like you know all those different stages, and she's been very very encouraging through the whole. The whole route, you know, I got a good one, so that's great. I can't, I, I can't, you know, say anything more about, you know, just I'm just very, very fortunate, you know. Hey, Not hey, all of hey, us are like that. Hey, yes, yes, indeed. So I, mean, I want, I want to switch gears. What's up? I want to talk about your record. Oh man, the record. So you, you record. So the funny thing about this record is you recorded it years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Got the bread together, released it. You know what I mean? You were like on the iTunes list. I don't even know how you did that. But that, I, was I on there? Yeah, you were on there, man. Your face, Barry Stevens. That's funny. I didn't even know that. I clicked it, push play. That's deep. That's deep. <laughs> okay. So the name of the record is? The name of my first record is uh, Basic Truths. And I recorded it the year after I moved to New Orleans. In 2011, I recorded it, summer 2011. And I invited a bunch of my friends from FSU who... Um, at the time, weren't living in New Orleans, but funny enough, everyone on the record except Chris Padishaw lives in New Orleans right now. Damn. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was like that was the impetus for uh, Jameson moving there, uh, uh, Riccio, Frugier, okay, okay. Emily Fredrickson, Jesse Smith moved there. I guess Jesse lives here now. Yeah. But um, he engineered the record, and then Joe Goldberg played on the record. Ricardo wow. Pascal, like all those cats, live down there now. Funny enough, Florida takeover. Florida takeover, <laughs> bro. And um. You know, it was a beautiful experience. It was a camaraderie. I actually don't even really like my playing on that record, but the the energy between and the camaraderie was just so. Ma- it was a magical, magical date, and I was like, I have to put this out. Now, what stalled me is I went through a series of events like um, a putting out a record by yourself is expensive, mm-hmm. first and foremost. B, my hard drive crashed, so I had to get it recovered, and then after that, I started touring. So life happened. Yeah, life happened, man. And it's like, you know, gathering the funds. And then I really just want my wife kept being like my girlfriend at the time. She was like, so what's happening with this record? Like, are you?" (laughs) she's like, you need to go ahead and put that out. Like, get it done. Get it done. Gently pushing. Yeah. She learned a term from a friend, a mutual friend of ours called uh, going in the uh, it's it's on the shelf, I think. Or in the can. It's in the can, right? Yeah. Yeah. She's like, I heard about this term uh, in the can where a record just. (laughs) sits on the shelf and it doesn't get released and she's like are you gonna let that happen to your record i'm like no no she's like all right i'll see it when i believe it i like that man i'll never forget on the album release the record was released um in march of 2015 and i came down with a terrible upper respiratory infection so like i remember when i woke up i was supposed to be cleaning the house because some friends were coming in town to stay with us and I couldn't get out of the bed. I had like this terrible fever. I think I was running like 101 fever or something wow. like that. And I had to rehearse the entire week with the cats. I was on antibiotics, so I couldn't drink. And it's like, you know, you live in New Orleans. A, it's like not being right. able to drink in New Orleans is hard. And then B, not being able to drink to celebrate your record that you've been like preparing for years. <laughs> and it was such a different experience. It was actually really, really pleasant to be sober on that gig, though. I'm not going to lie. It was a different kind of thing. But it was like, dang, man, like I had to go through a lot just to get that happening. And then mm-hmm. I came out on the other side and I was proud of it, you know? Wow. And so people- I want people to check it out. 
Yeah, man. You, you have a link? Yeah, they can go to barrystevensonmusic.com. So, so we'll put it right right up here. There, there you go. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's wherever you can buy music. It's on Amazon. It's on okay. iTunes. It's on Bandcamp. So, you know what I'll do? I'll, I'll link it in the description. You guys can check it out. Please do. Let Barry know if you like it or not. If you don't. Keep you know. it to yourself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's gotten. It's, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate. Most of the, you know, you know, musicians are the hardest people to please. Right. Most of the time, they don't even listen to your record. But most people checked it out and they enjoyed it. It was, it was. Mm-hmm. I got really good feedback from it, and then the lay people enjoyed it too. So that's actually all that really matters is the lay people. They enjoyed it. That's great, man. So, man, wh- where will you be in two years? Two years. Um, I'm either going to still be at my apartment in Harlem or we're going to be trying to find another place. But uh, <laughs> That's when that lease run out. <laughs> yeah, you know, we'll still be in New York. Uh, I, I got some I got some work to do here, so uh, I'll definitely still be in New York. Hopefully by then, uh, I'm actually in the process of releasing my second album. So by then, hopefully I'll have already toured under my own name and, um, you know, be working on a third record, hopefully by then. And uh, by then, I would also like to have recorded a good amount of other projects with other artists and collaborations that's that's the key one is like i want to be able to collaborate with different artists from different mediums not just like jazz or music like collaborating with like visual artists collaborating with filmmakers collaborating with you know um freaking uh chefs (laughs) you know like seriously like there's so much that can be done in the world of music and the arts in general but that happens from conversations with different people and that's how cool stuff comes up man like yeah Yeah. and there's a lot of those people in new york so that's you know that's the beautiful thing about being here man you are so right i agree with you on that man so so uh just to finish things out here like what two things are you most grateful for um man i don't want to limit you yeah, I feel you. Uh, one one is given the state of things in America, just being alive right now. I'm a you know 29 year old African American male. I have two college degrees, um, a master. I mean, I have bachelor's and master's. I have no kids. I've never been to jail. You know, that's that's just not you know. I know you have most of those things, but you can't say you haven't been to jail. So, <laughs> sorry to put you on blast, baby. But uh, no, you know. Uh, just I'm just grateful for life, man, to be alive and to be healthy, to have a beautiful wife and a beautiful family who supports me um, and friends who love me. And, you know, they are actually real, you know, like I, I, I'm just grateful to be where I am in this opportunity. I think about it all the time and I'm, I look up and I'm, I'm walking through New York City and I'm like, man. I live in New York City right now. I'm like, you did it, baby. And I'm doing my thing, you know, like, and, it, and it's, I know it's, it's not as, I'm not going to say it was easy for me. It has not been easy. But it's, I feel like my transition into the city has been easier than most just because of the way I prepared beforehand. So I was very, I'm just very fortunate that the move has been very gracious to me so far. And I'm just hoping it just gets better from here, you know? It will, man. Yeah. Y'all, I want to thank Barry Stevenson for coming on the Working Artist Project. Man, thank you, Double D. There it is. Check out his record. Yeah, buy that mug. <laughs>